Today we're going to be in Proverbs 5 to 7. It's a big chunk of scripture because there's really one central theme throughout all of these three chapters, and that is fleeing from adultery. It's the, um, the danger of sexual sin, the danger of looking outside your marriage, it's the danger of what could happen when you are playing with fire and it burns you in the chest as Solomon writes. And so we're going to jump into that. Let's pray, and then we will start going through it. Heavenly Father, we pray as we walk through these passages of Scripture, you'll help us. Um, you'll help us to see the danger in looking outside of the covenant relationships that we have made. That when we make vows before you and family and friends, um, they mean something. That they're very important that we would cling to them. So I pray, Lord, as we walk through this warning from Solomon, a man who didn't heed his own warnings, that we can see some areas in our own life that we need to shore up, that we need to run from, or we need to encourage others in as well. Help us, Lord, to always put your word in you first in every relationship that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. I tried to find some definitive research or some definitive answers as to when Solomon wrote chapters 5 to 7, and people are all over the map of when he wrote this. Um, I have always, well not always, for a long time, I've always kind of looked at Song of Solomon, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes as a timeline, where most that we know Song of Solomon was written before he got married, because it's a love letter to his future wife and then to his bride, and then Proverbs is all the wisdom stuff, which makes sense that he would write it after he was given the wisdom from God when he asked for wisdom, and then Ecclesiastes is after he has blown up his entire life and his whole kingdom, and he's sitting back as an older man saying, I messed up. All that matters is Jesus. All that matters is God. All that matters is God and the promise of Jesus. All that matters is your relationship with the Father. Um, and people disagree about how Proverbs is organized and is this all written in one sitting. There's, we know there's a couple authors in Proverbs and there's a couple other people that aren't just Solomon writing this. And so you can look at it one of two ways. This is, well, okay, there's three ways. You can look at it in three ways. He's writing in chapters 5 to 7 about the danger of sexual sin, the danger of adultery, before he starts committing all those adulteries himself. That this is a prequel to what he's about to do. And that so his son wouldn't have been born at the time. He would have, this is like a pre-writing to his future child. Or he's writing this after the fact, and they inserted it into the Proverbs in this place. So it's wisdom from him after he's realized the error of his ways. And the third one is, that he wrote all of these warnings in the middle of all of his sin. Which we know people do. They will be in the middle of their sin, and they will be very open about telling people how to live their lives right in the middle of how they're sinning themselves. And so there's three ways to look at it. I don't know that it matters very much. For me, I'm very curious about those things to try to put it into context. But I don't, I'm not sure that it really matters for what we're discussing. Um, but this section in Proverbs is all about stepping outside of that covenant. And it talks about the danger of doing so. And so I'm going to read to us, I'm going I'm to read most of 5, 6, and 7. And we're going to break it down in very small chunks. But I'm going to read it to you out of the message. Because I think it has a poetry to it. It has a heartbeat to it that's a little different than the English Standard Version. That's the version I love to study and read. And that's the one we're going to walk through. Um, on the screen, but I want you, I want you to kind of just let this flow over you so you get the whole theme, okay? Starting in chapter 5. 
Dear friend, pay close attention to this, my wisdom. Listen very closely to the way I see it. Then you'll acquire a taste for good sense. What I tell you will keep you out of trouble. The lips of a seductive woman, okay, and aside, this is Solomon writing to his son. So the seductress in this is a woman. Do not take that all women are seductresses, and do not take that this is immune from a man trying to seduce a woman. Just because it's all about the, this seductive woman and this woman who's chasing after this man. And if, if you are sitting here thinking, well, are you, Mike, are you saying that that's just a woman's issue? And No. If he was writing to his daughter, he would say, daughter, watch out for this man. Okay? So just put that in your head. If you hear woman, 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 don't sit there as a lady going, well, how dare just change your mind to man. Okay? The lips of a seductive woman are, are oh so sweet. Her soft words are oh so smooth. But it won't be long before she's gravel in your mouth, a pain in your gut, a wound in your heart. She's dancing down the primrose path to death. She's headed straight for hell and taking you with her. She hasn't a clue about real life, about who she is or where she's going. So my friend, listen closely. Don't treat my words casually. Keep your distance from such a woman. Absolutely stay out of her neighborhood. You don't want to squander your wonderful life to waste your precious life among the hard-hearted. Why should you allow strangers to take advantage of you? Why be exploited by those who care nothing for you? You don't want to end your life full of regrets, nothing but sin and bones. Saying, oh, why didn't I do what they told me? Why did I reject a disciplined life? Why didn't I listen to my mentors or take my teachers seriously? My life is ruined. I haven't one blessed thing to show for my life. Do not know the saying, drink, do you not know the saying? Drink from your own rain barrel, draw water from your own spring-fed well. It's true. Otherwise, you may one day come home and find your barrel empty and your well polluted. Your spring waters for you and you only, not to be passed among other strangers. Bless your flesh-flowing fountain. Enjoy the wife you married as a young man, lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose. Don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Why would you trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills with a whore, for dalliance with a promiscuous stranger? Mark well that God doesn't miss a move you make. He's aware of every step you take. That's a sing song, isn't it, or the police? Stole it from the Bible. The shadow of your sin will overtake you. You'll find yourself stumbling all over yourself in the dark. Death is the reward of an undisciplined life. Your foolish decisions trap you in a dead end. Chapter 6. Dear friend, if you've gone into hock with your neighbor or locked yourself, this isn't a, we'll get to this, but he's talking about idleness of hands and how if, if you don't work, you won't get paid. But I think what's, because it's sandwiched between five and seven and, or half of six, I think that what's really going on in this section is not just get off your lazy butt and work. I think that you need to work on your relationship with God as well. I think there's a connection here. Dear friend, if you've gone into hock with your neighbor or locked yourself into a deal with a stranger, if you've impulsively promised a shirt off your back and now find yourself shivering out in the cold, friend, don't waste a minute. Get yourself out of that mess. You're in that man's clutches. Go put on a long face. Act desperate. Don't procrastinate. There's no time to lose. Run like a deer from the hunter. Fly like a bird from the trapper. You lazy fool. Look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food, it harvests, it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? How long before you get out of bed? 
a nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life, poverty, your permanent house guest. Riffraff and rascals talk out of both sides of their mouths. They wink at each other. They shuffle their feet. They cross their fingers behind their backs. Their perverse minds are always cooking up something nasty, always stirring up trouble. Catastrophe is just around the corner for them. A total smash-up, their lives ruined beyond repair. Here are six things God hates and one more that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant, a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath, a troublemaker in the family. Good friend, follow your father's good advice. Don't wander off from your mother's teachings. Wrap yourself in them from head to foot. Wear them like a scarf around your neck. Wherever you walk, they'll guide you. Wherever you rest, they'll guard you. When you wake up, they'll, t they'll tell you what's next. For sound advice is a beacon. Good teaching is a light. Moral discipline is a life path. They'll protect you from wanton women, from the seductive talk of such temptress. Don't lustfully fantasize on her beauty, nor be taken in by her bedroom eyes. You can buy an hour with a whore for a loaf of bread, but a wanton woman may well eat you alive. Can you build a fire in your lap and not burn your pants? That's why I like the message. Can you walk barefoot on hot coals and not get blisters? It's the same when you have sex with your neighbor's wife. Touch her and you'll pay for it. No excuses. Hunger is no excuse for a thief to steal. When he's caught, he has to pay it back, even if he has to put his whole house in hock. Adultery is a brainless act, soul-destroying, self-destructive. Expect a bloody nose, a black eye, and a reputation ruined for good. For jealousy de detonates rage in a cheated husband. Wild for revenge, he won't make allowances. Nothing you say or pay will make it all right. Neither bribes nor reasons will satisfy him. And seven, dear friend, do what I tell you. Treasure my careful instructions. Do what I say and you'll live well. My teaching is as precious as your eyesight. Guard it. Write it out on the back of your hands. Etch it on the chambers of your heart. Talk to wisdom as to a sister. Treat insight as your companion. They'll be with you to fend off the temptress, the smooth-talking, honey-tongued seductress. As I stood at the window of my house, looking out through the shutters, watching the mindless crowd stroll by, I spotted a young man without any sense, arriving at the corner of the street where she lived and turning up the path to her house. It was dusk, the evening coming on, the darkness thickening into night. Just then, a woman met him. She's been lying in wait for him, dressed to seduce him. Brazen and brass she was, restless and roaming, never at home. Walking the streets, loitering in the mall, hanging out at every corner in town. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, boldly took his arm and said, I've got all the makings for a feast. Today I made my offerings, my vows are all paid. So now I've come to find you, hoping to catch sight of your face. And here you are. I've spread fresh, clean sheets on my bed, colorful imported linens. My bed is aromatic. With spices and exotic fragrances. Exotic fragrances. Come, let's make love all night. Spend the night in ecstatic lovemaking. My husband's not home. He's away on business and he won't be back for a month. Soon she has him eating out of her hand, bewitched by her honey speech. Before you know it, he's trotting behind her like a calf led to the butcher shop, like a stag lured into ambush and then shot with an arrow, like a bird flying into a net, not knowing that its flying life is over. So friends, listen to me. Take these words of mine most seriously. Don't fool around with a woman like that. Don't ever stroll through her neighborhood. Countless victims come under her spell. She's the death of many a poor man. She runs a halfway house to hell, fits you out with a shroud and a coffin.
That's some warnings, isn't it? I don't think you can deny the danger that Solomon is writing to his son. Um, adultery and divorce are all over my family and my wife's family. And going home for Christmas is often very hard. I have shared that with you over the years about how it's just a struggle. And so there's a lot of my life that is touched with everything that Solomon wrote. There's so much of my life that I can't avoid it. I can't run from it. I can't get away from it. I feel like it's everywhere. And I feel like there's lots of people in this congregation that have the same story. And so I want you to hear, as we talk about the dangers of adultery, if you have walked in adultery yourself, there's grace for you. If adultery has been committed on you, there's grace for the person who has hurt you. If you are in the throes of it right now, there's hope. But we have to do the hard work of seeing just how dangerous and how quickly we can all be caught up in this. Solomon's warning us in Proverbs thousands of years ago, and we still struggle with it today. When we would stand up and make our covenant vows with our spouses, if that was it, then we would all be doing fantastic. But that's when the real hard work begins. And so Solomon is warning us in this, and this hit home pretty significantly to me. As I, it's still, my parents have been divorced since I was 11. So 35 years of them not being together. And every time I'm home, it comes up. Every time there's a comment, there's a phrase, there's something. It's all over. We had a big, Amber's brother had a, a wedding reception. He married his lovely bride, but it's his third bride. And it's all over her family, too. There's this giant family reunion. And I'm, I'm walking through and studying Proverbs, getting ready for this sermon. And I'm looking around this giant family reunion, and I can just pick out all the ones that I know of. Like, it's all over. And I can't tell you the number of times that guys or couples have come to me and said, this is what's happening. And we have to walk through. It's so painful. And so when we heed these, wor wor these words of Solomon, we got to take them really serious. And we can't think, oh, that'll never happen to me. Because it can. So we have to be very diligent. So when he says in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. He's saying, just listen to me. Will you please listen? Will you please listen? I'm warning you. I'm telling you to guard yourself. And then he says, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And we know every time there's a mention, like we all have knives and blades, and you've probably seen swords, or you've a two-edged sword really only has one purpose. Like if you're in the kitchen, you're cutting things, you don't wait till the one side's dulled and flip it and use the other. A two-edged sword is for stabbing and killing. That's its main purpose. There's no other real reason to have it. That's why in some states they're illegal to have, which I think is dumb, but whatever. A two-edged sword is for cutting, cleaving, killing, getting through the ribs to the heart. It is 
a machine for death. And so for Solomon to say that the lips of this forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smooth and she becomes bitter and sharp, there's danger in this. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Shoal, hell. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. So this is the person who is willing to break a covenant. This is the other man. This is the other woman. And we have to be cautious in these moments. And it starts with a word. It starts with words. It didn't start with, hey, I saw her. And we know David's story. He sees Bathsheba. And that's why it's very dangerous in that situation that it seems and appears that David put himself onto her. It wasn't just a flirt, but I don't know if you remember the times when you used to flirt a lot or when you were first pursuing your spouse. And it might have started with a look, but it didn't get anywhere until there were words. You had to be man enough or woman enough to walk across and say, hello, you look nice today, or whatever that would be. It's why it's so funny when you've ever chaperoned a middle school dance and you watch the middle school boys, or even the high school boys, um, they will just stand in the corner. It's like, you know you have to go talk to her to get her to dance with you, right? Well, but, uh, okay, whatever. Um, words matter. Words matter. And today, it's even more dangerous than it's ever been before. Way more dangerous. Because it's not just proximity anymore. It's text, it's Facebook, it's all of these things that make it so much easier to have anonymity and to say things you would never say in person. There'd be, you won't have that awkward connection. You get to just say whatever you want. I think it's different today, but about 10 years ago, when I, we were still, we were in West Virginia, and I met up with a friend of mine who's a lawyer, and he specializes in, uh, he was a, a court-appointed um, he worked with kids, protecting kids, and then the state made some changes in rules and he had to fire back up his family practice. And he hadn't been in family practice, which is a lot of divorce, a lot of contracts. He hadn't been in that world for like six or seven years. And in the course of him getting back in, Facebook became a thing. And so I talked to him, this is 10 years ago, and he said at the time that um, Facebook was involved in 50% of all divorces. That it was secret messaging of old flames and people that you used to know and that kind of stuff was all over the place. And I, that was 10 years ago. So I have a feeling it's even more with the hundred other areas. Um, I know of one couple that I worked with in West Virginia that it was over the, the game app Words with Friends. That's how they communicated with each other in the chat part of the game. And that's what led to them. And it was lots of words, lots of words, lots of words. And then he just showed up at her house one day and it was on. Could you help me out, Dan? For some reason, it's not connecting. And then he tells his son, like, why aren't you drinking from your own cistern? Like, you have your wife. You have your spouse. Like, that's where you drink. You drink from the water of your own cistern. You just, what are you doing? You're for each other alone. No one else is allowed in. You're for each other alone. You're not going to let strangers be a part of your wife. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Now, I know, ladies, it's not very nice to be called a deer or a doe. 
But that's a lot of the metaphors, even Song of Solomon, a graceful, beautiful, slender animal. Um, I don't know if it's very flattering. I don't know that I've ever told Amber, you are so graceful like a doe. I don't think she would take that very well. Um, but put it in its proper context, times were different then, and apparently that was a good pickup line. Go ahead, Dan. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? What are you, it's, it's a plea, what are you doing? Marriage is hard enough to take two sinful people and put them together in a covenant relationship and all of the tension and arguments and without the covenant commitment and saying no to all the temptations coming around, how terrible terrible it is. Drink from your own cistern. Drink from your own well. What are you doing? What are you doing? For a man's ways are before his eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Now, there's a clear impetus there's a danger of the person coming after us. There's a danger of the person coming near. There's a danger of the person who wants to... It, we have to be honest. This is Satan. This is Satan working through individuals to destroy covenant relationships. But it doesn't put us off the hook. You can't just say, well, you know, she looked pretty good. You can't just say, well, he said some nice things. It's on you. It's on each of us as individuals to hold strong. And God's watching. You will die for lack of discipline. We'll get to that in a minute. There's warnings of what this is going to do to you. Go ahead, Dan. But the key is that words matter. It matters. Today, it's not just proximity. A workplace, seduction, someone close, a neighbor, a literal neighbor, a friend, like, we've all watched the Hallmark movies, the Lifetime movies, the big-time romance movies. It, it starts with some flirting at work. It starts with a neighbor next door. It starts with someone complaining about their spouse. That's how it starts. And then that honey-dripped language just cuts. It cuts deep. And Satan will use the things that you're struggling with, the things that are maybe some hurts in your relationships, and Satan just uses those and uses a person who is being motivated by destruction to come into your life and start speaking sweet words, dripped in honey. But today it's even more dangerous because it can be text messaging, it can be instant messenger, it can be all these things. It's, it can be a million ways of getting into your heart. And yeah, we all struggle with looking at people that aren't our spouses. But when you're tempted in those ways and you look away, the danger is that when you, it becomes a sin when something is put before your eyes, when you linger on it. That's when it's a dangerous sin. I get asked that by guys a lot. Well, what about when a, a girl's running down Grand Avenue with a sports bra on and I looked at her? Do, it, did I just sin against God? Well, you were tempted. You sin when you drove around the block to get another look. That's when you sin. 
if it's a fleeting glance, and, and I'm not, you ladies aren't immune to that. There's a lot of guys that run up and down grand with their shirts off. I will not do that because no one wants to see that. And it's not that you'll never be tempted. It's that are you chasing after it? And so it's not that you can't have a conversation with someone of the opposite sex. It's not that you can't have an encouraging message. You can't have someone reach out to you from high school and say, how you doing? Like, there's nothing. Um, that's not what's going on here. This is when it becomes you long for it. Hey, how are you? What's going on? And then you begin to complain. You begin to speak evil about your spouse. And then you're just letting Satan worm his way in. And it crushes souls. Go ahead, Dan. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and garter, gathers her food in the harvest. Now, there's three sections in chapter 6 that seem to be about don't be lazy. I think there's some, you could take those out, and I don't think there's the bad teaching. But since it's smashed between... The, a chapter on one end and a chapter and a half on the other, it seems more clear, more logical, this is about us and our discipline. Like, what do you expect? If you aren't connected to God, if you aren't connected to Him in prayer, in the Word, you're not connected to your spouse, you're not connected in a, a passionate pursuit of God, then it becomes easier for these things to slide in. It becomes easier for the honey-drip Word. To start wrapping itself around your heart. Where are you in the community of God? Where are you? Are you, are you just a gazelle ready to be hit with an arrow? We have to be diligent. Go ahead, Dan. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Go ahead. Idleness leads to temptation taking hold. And looking elsewhere leads to destruction. It goes from words to then looks. And so then quickly you're looking for ways out. You're looking for ways other than. You're looking for ways to run from the pain of what you're dealing with. And you find your rest in a place that's going to lead you to destruction. I think the idleness is leading to that temptation taking hold. We are all tempted. All of us. Idleness in your faith and idleness in your devotion to Christ is when that temptation can cut through. You're disconnected from the body of Christ. You're disconnected from your church family. You're disconnected from God. You don't spend time talking to Him in prayer. You don't spend time with Him in the Word. You don't... And it becomes easier and easier and easier to have words come out like, well, she's not paying attention to me. Well, he's not who I thought he was. Well, this is lonely. Well, this is, you start saying those kinds of things and then temptation can slide right in. And a lot of you have been married a lot longer than me who are sitting here. Some of you not married as long as me, I think. There's a couple of you. It's not easy. And so it's not just about putting a line in the sand 
and standing on your covenant. It's also about your connectedness to Christ. It's, we've talked about before how hard it is to hate someone if you're praying for them. You always know, say that kind of catchphrase thing. Someone in your life, a boss, a coworker, a family member, has really caused you strife. And if you're praying for them, it's really hard for you to continue to have bitterness towards them because you're wanting the best for them. Same in our marriages. The same in our relationships. If you're praying for and wanting the best for someone and you're continually lifting them up, it's harder for temptation to slide in. Because you're going to push that stuff away. Go ahead, Dan. And six, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture with her eyelashes. Again, talking about the look. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can she... Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Nothing who touches her will go unpunished. There's a lot of connotation here. Um, one scholar says this is kind of hinting at husband, or maybe even if this really is um, a prostitute, then even the pimp. Like there's a lot of things going on here, but for you can't play this game and not get burned. What's that look like? Well, think of all the relationships that are broken. Think of the, the people that knew you and the people that love you and the people that, and all of that comes unraveled. Think of the shame that comes upon. Think of all this stuff that hits. And then there's a small connotation here, and I, in the message it really said it. What about the revenge of the other spouse? Like, that's a real danger. And we all have read the stories of someone who stepped out on their spouse and the other spouse goes and takes revenge on the person they're cheating with. We're not even getting into the eternal part. That's next. But this is dangerous. And when you're found out, everything unravels. But man, I've, I've, I've had people tell me to my face, it's going to be okay. God will be all right with it. My kids will be fine. They'll get over it. Is it better for me to be happy than to be unhappy. I've, 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 I've seen the after effects. I just came back from Indiana and I watched it unfold all in front of me. And it hurts. Forever. And so you have to be so diligent. Go ahead, Dan. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Again, ladies, the adulterer with his smooth words. Don't take it on the chin, ladies. There's, there's men out there doing the very same thing. But there's a cry from Solomon to his son, like, Lady Wisdom, help me. Become an intimate friend with wisdom, with God, with Jesus. We've talked about that before we went through Advent. That this lady wisdom is Jesus himself. Be an intimate friend with Jesus so that you aren't pulled down these paths. Go ahead. She seizes him and kisses him with bold face. She says to him, I had to offer sacrifice. Today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. So think of what's happening here. Here's a woman who is pursuing a married man. And she says, hey, 
It's good. I went to church today. I listened to the sermon. I was worshiping. I was praising God. Me and God are good. Come on, let's have some fun. And I bet if I went around the room and asked how many times that's happened, and you know people that have said things like that. My relationship with God is great. Everything's good with God and I. But yet I've got this person on the side. Then if you're like me, you go, how is that even possible? But I've heard it over and over again. I've told the stories of like the woman, I think I've told you before, who opened up her Beth Moore study Bible. And in one section that was written by Beth Moore says that God wants you to be happy. And so she said, I'm leaving my husband because, see, here in the Bible, God says he wants me to be happy. Like, you know that Beth Moore wrote that, right? That's not the word of God. That's like the devotional in the Beth Moore devotion Bible. That's not the word of God. So you can't just leave because of this. Now, if there's issues, if there's abuse, if there's things, like there are biblical grounds for divorce. Let's walk through all of those. But just going, eh. And then we found out six months later that she was having an affair the whole time. She was looking for an excuse. And that's what he's getting at. This seductive woman comes in and says, I just came from church. I'm a good, godly, flip it. I was just a church. I'm a good, godly man. Let's go have some fun. And all of us, with a little bit of logic and reason, go, how is that even? What? No. A good, godly person isn't going to then pursue someone's spouse but people are, can be right in the thick of it and not even see it. They're so clouded. Go ahead, Dan. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast till it never pierces his liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know it will cost him his life. So this is, Solomon tells the story of standing in the window and he sees this young man, he sees this, all, this whole thing unfolding, and he has extreme pity on this person. You're walking down this path like an ox to slaughter. This is going to kill you. And it's going to kill your relationships. It's going to kill your witness. It's going to have so much pain. And Solomon's in, the watch, Solomon's in this window watching this young man just walk to his destruction. Like when we put the bolt to a cow. Go ahead. Adultery leads to death. It crushes everything. Everything. The pain, the hurt, the cleaving of relationships, the destructive nature of your relationship with God in the middle of it. It hurts. Kids, friends, family, all of it at risk. What's the, there's a song, it's a country song, it's not Travis Tritt, Trace Atkins has a song about, uh, I think the title is Who's That Man? And so you have this whole song about he's messed up and now there's another man living in his house, putting his kids to bed, taking care of his children, and he's left it all. Like that's what Solomon's trying to get, like you, you are running the risk of everything unraveling. And I have seen the heartbreak and have been, been in front row seats of it and it 
hurt. We have got to be diligent. And if you've walked down those roads, there is grace for you. And if you have fought back from the brink with your spouse, then amen and praise God. And that's the hope that we should all have. But there is so much danger. And we have got to take it seriously. Go ahead, Dan. So how do you protect yourself? Leave you with a couple practical things. You have to have a new heart. Proverbs 6.32 in Hebrew, um, it says, he, he who commits adultery lacks sense. The word there is heart. He who commits adultery lacks heart. You need a new heart. You have to have a regenerated heart with Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you aren't pursuing that relationship and striving for more of him, all that temptation comes in. So the first gut check isn't to start, well, who am I messaging? Who am I talking to? Where's my heart? What's going on with my husband or my wife? It's how are you in Jesus? Do you spend any time with him? Or is Sunday your weekly Jesus appointment? That's not enough. We are to be daily walking with Christ. In our joys, in our pains, in everything that we're going through, it requires us to be connected to the one that loves us no matter what we've done or who we've hurt. So the first order, what's your devotion life like? Do you spend time in the Word? Do you spend time with other Christians? Or have you isolated yourself from everyone? Do you spend time in praise? And I, it's different for everybody. I am not a singer. Is it times in nature, times in some pursuit that brings you a joy that leads you to worship? I love to eat. And in the last six years or so, I've really started enjoying cooking. And man, there's a moment when you take that tasty protein off the smoker and you slice it and it brings a joy and I am thankful to God for the ability to taste such good things. And I love helping others taste. Like I, it brings me a worshipful joy. It may sound silly. You might like to play guitar and sing. I like to eat good food and enjoy the riches of what God has blessed me. Whatever that looks like, what drives you to worship him? You have to be in worship of him. Or you're going to start going down roads that put idols in the path of your worship. And it'll be a person who you don't see coming. And all of a sudden, you're saying things like, how did I get here? How did this happen? Go ahead, Dan. You need to meet Jesus and get a new heart for those new desires. There's some practical things, too, as we walk towards Jesus. Like, be careful who you're communicating with. If there are people that you are complaining about your spouse with, be careful. Is it a trusted friend who is going to encourage you and help you? Or is that a person who's going to go, yeah, they're a jerk. Yeah, you'd be way better off. Those are not people in your life that are there to help you and encourage you. They're actually dragging you down. 
And I'm not, I, I like the Billy Graham rule or the Mike Pence rule that was said a couple years ago. Be careful you with your time with people of the opposite sex that aren't your spouses. But that is not a rule that says you can never have a friend who is of the opposite sex. That you can't have someone you're connected to that's a great friend. It's, that's not what a biblical imperative would say, but you've got to be careful. If all of a sudden you're starting to long to be with them, or you're, the messages are getting a little weird, or you're trying to find more time with them, then you should hear the theme music from Jaws in the background. Because you're about to get bit. We have to be careful. We have to put our guard up. It starts with, how are you connected to Jesus? And if you're connected to him, that's how you'll find protection and comfort, even when there's fights and tension. And I used to, every time I would mention um, someone leaving their spouse, when Al and Marianne were coming to the first service, and I, I get, I'd watch Marianne, and she'd have this look on her face. Boozy day. She'd have this look on her face of disgust. So I'd ask her once, like, hey, you know, every time I mention, like, the you know, passage of Scripture comes up and the potential for divorce or the potential for not in, she just kind of looked at it and she goes, well, there's been months and there was one whole year I didn't like Al. But I'm committed, like, he's my husband. And she just couldn't even fathom the idea of someone stepping out or being tempted or... Uh, I just, I've always loved that about those two. And to this day, when you go visit her, um, you go to her, her place, and it'll come up that how Al took such good care of her that now she has this place where they will take her trash out, they will do her laundry, they'll clean it for her, she gets her meals provided, and they even let her play the piano whenever she wants. And she will, tears in her eyes. And if you know Marianne Boozengay, I've not, the 10 years I've known her, I've not known her to be a very emotional person. Tear kind of emotion. She cries every time she thinks of how, he's, how Al, even in his death, took such good care of her and has continued to take care of her. It's beautiful. So how do we collectively as a church fight through all of this temptation, all of this stuff, all of, I mean, it's right here. Your desires must come from Christ so that you enjoy all the riches of the fruit that he has for us. And don't trade that relationship and that beautiful connection to Christ for some seductive, fleeting chance at adventure or mystery or whatever you're chasing. We have to be careful. Because there's death in the wake if we aren't. So I would encourage you this week, those of you that are married, those of you that are connected to people who are married, do some self-examination. Where are the cracks? And are you going to fill them with Jesus? Or are you going to walk down some dangerous paths? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together in your word. And I pray, Lord, as we leave this place, um, we would spend some time thinking about our relationship with you.
Are you really the center of everything? Or have we put some idols in the way? And help us, Lord, because we've all felt it in some form or fashion. When adultery hits, it hurts. It cuts deep like that two-edged sword right between the ribs into the heart. And some people never recover from it. But I pray, Lord, that you would give us grace. You would give us comfort. And for those that have been wounded, I pray that you would help to heal them each and every day. Because it doesn't go away. And for those flirting with disaster, I pray your spirit would pull them back from the brink. That they would have their eyes open to the truth. And they would find you precious and better than any well they're trying to dig that isn't in their home. Help us, Lord. We love you. Amen.